thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Welcome to Life Central Church. My name is Leon and a big shout out to those of you watching in Rowley. We are so glad that you guys are starting to connect again. And hey, if you're watching from Hagley as well, or maybe Bromsgrove or Clibbery Moor tomorrow, wherever you're watching, you're really, really welcome. And of course, there is so many people here in the room as well, and you are so welcome as well. In fact, just before I get started, I want to say we've got a really big week coming up in the life of our church, which is the first week of October. So next Sunday, October the 3rd, is the end of this series reset. Then on the Tuesday night, the 5th, we've got our Life Central Midweek in person here, which is going to be a work worship experience. It's going to be so good. We're handing over to all of the worship, the collective guys, and they're going to be leading us through that. So you don't want to miss that. You want to put that in your diary. It starts at eight o'clock, but we're going to be opening up from about seven o'clock outside. There's going to be some stuff so that you can socialise and connect with each other. And at eight o'clock, we're going to come in here and we're going to have an hour or so, an hour and a half together. It's going to be amazing. Then on that following Sunday, the 10th, we've got two services here in House Owen that Sunday because we are baptising people. which is really exciting. It's the first time we've baptised people since the pandemic started last uh, March. And so we're really looking forward to that. And if that wasn't enough, on that Sunday evening at eight o'clock, we have our vision gathering, which will be digital. It'll be on Zoom. So if you want to be a part of that, then make sure we've got your email and we can communicate that out with you. So that first week of October is going to be an amazing week. Put those dates in your diary. Um, But I want to ask a question of you today. You know, questions can be uh, clarifying, but they can also be problematic, can't they? You know, when you ask the question, I don't know how many of you guys have ever asked your wife um, or your girlfriend a question and you thought, I really shouldn't have asked that question. Like, are you really going to wear that tonight? That's a bad question, isn't it? And then the other question that you can ask sometimes is, well, how old do you think I am? Never ask that question. How old do you think I am? The question I have for you today is this, how's your love life? In fact, why don't you turn to the person next to you? No, 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 I'm not doing that. How's your love life? But when I say, how's your love life? I'm not talking about your love life. I'm talking about your love life, okay? Because actually, we only have one word in English for the word love. But in Greek, which is what much of the New Testament was written in, there are eight words. And of course, the word that we're looking at, because we're looking in this reset series, when the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, you know what? If you want to live your life the way God intended you to live it, there are three things that you must make sure are in your life. Faith, hope, and the greatest of these is love. But when Paul uses that word love, he doesn't use the word for romantic love or for friendship love or for family love. He uses this word. He uses the word agape. And it's a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. It's very hard to actually define. But this is the kind of love that God loves us with. And this is the kind of love that we are called to love others with as well. So when I ask you the question, I'm going to ask it you many, many times today. How's your love life? I'm talking about this. I'm not talking about your romantic love life. That's important. I'm talking about this. This is supremely important. And last week we looked at the fact that when Jesus came along, there were two Jewish rabbis that, that had, um, and a Jewish rabbi develops like an interpretation of the law of God. And it's called the yoke. And we looked at these two characters, Shammai and Hillel. And Shammai, um, his kind of, uh, if you like, centrepiece to how he interpreted the law of God and how to please God was obedience. But Hillel, his centrepiece wasn't obedience, it was love. And Jesus came along and sided very much with Hillel, but took it even further and not only 
pushed it, but redefined what love was all about. You see, we've heard of the golden rule, treat others as you would wish to be treated. But Jesus came along and said, that's great, but I'm gonna take that golden rule and upgrade it to the platinum rule. And it's literally this, love others as I have loved you, which is absolutely huge. And a guy called Andy Stanley put it this way, under the new covenant, we do not love God and our neighbours, we love God by loving our neighbours. And guys, here's the thing, the Hebrew word for neighbour literally means friend and it also means opponent. So literally when Jesus comes along and says, listen, if you wanna show that you love me, folks, then it isn't by how much you know, it isn't by loving the people that you love, It's by loving everybody else, your neighbour, your friend and your opponent in the way that I have loved you. That's tough, isn't it? Really, really tough. Love others as you have been loved by God. And if you're not a Jesus follower today, please hang with us because we want to explain to you what it means. And I'm hoping that as I go through today, you'll get a little bit of a window into what it really means. And I'll have to say, as a follower of Jesus, I know that sometimes... Even those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're not particularly loving. I know I'm not particularly loving in my life. And when I've missed it out, I give you a bad representation of what this thing called faith is meant to be. So I'm not talking from a point of I've got all this together by a long shot. But I am saying this is what it's meant to be. And here's my working theory when it comes to loving people who are not just your friends, but those are your opponents. And I developed this kind of theory myself several years ago, and I've gone back to it because I think it's actually got something really relevant. You see, this is what I kind of thought, that actually there's me in my circle, okay? And loving people in my circle is one thing. And I think over the last 18 months, this idea has been accentuated because now we call it a bubble, I mean, we never used to talk about who's in your bubble, did we? It's really interesting in the first lockdown, so many people say, oh, they're in my bubble and they're in my bubble and they're in my bubble. I say, no, they're not in your bubble, all right? You're just seeing them, all right? Because the bubble, the little circle is those people that you say, that's my circle. And I think for most of us, when it comes to love, we wanna love people in our circle. And how many of you know, it's hard loving people even in your circle, isn't it? Because you're sitting next to them, some of you, aren't you? Because it's your family and you think, crikey, that's hard enough. But here's what happens. When loving people in your circle gets difficult, what most of us tend to do is we tend to vote people out of our circle. We push them out of the bubble. Maybe the difficult people. Anyone got any difficult people in your life? Yeah, you don't look at them, all right? <laughs> yeah, that's you. And this is what we do. We've all got difficult people. I've got difficult people in my life, okay? Too much conversation there, all right, over there. And maybe watching at home, you know, don't nudge the person sat next to you. We've all got difficult people, but Jesus says, if you wanna say you're a follower of me, you gotta love difficult people as I have loved you. What about different people? People that are just not like us. You know, I'm totally passionate about this. Church should be the place where we love different people like nowhere else. Church should be the place, guys, where we stand next to, where we worship next to, where we serve next to people who are not like us, who are not the same colour as us, who are not the same background as us, who are not from the same socioeconomic stream as us. Difference should be something that pulls people into our circle, not push people out. 
And Jesus was all about breaking down the barriers and breaking down the walls and including people, not pushing people out. But there are different people and we don't understand difference, so we tend to vote them out of our circle. And then what about the damaged? Those who are damaged, who are draining? And I understand all this and we've got to look after ourselves and all of that. I get all of that, but I'm trying to make a point. I think Jesus is calling us, guys, in these days to include more people in our circle than we would feel comfortable with. And then finally, there's the dangerous people. And I know that we've got to be careful and we've got to put things in place. But God is calling us, I really believe. When Paul says the greatest of these is love, he wasn't just saying, love the people in your circle. He was saying, love the world. Love your friend and your opponent as I have loved you. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to switch it on or open it up, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And last week we looked at the setup for this really, which was how Paul kind of shocked his audience by, by these people at Corinth that valued fancy words and they valued, you know, preaching and they valued gifts of the Spirit and they valued all of this. But he said, hey, if you have got all of that, you don't have love. It's just a mess. It's a noise. It's a racket. I don't like it in my ears. And after shocking the audience, he then dives into this beautiful, which we always tend to push to weddings, but it wasn't ever a wedding chapter. These are not wedding verses. These are life verses. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I remember when I was doing uh, English literature at my A-level, my uh, the English teacher saying to me that the best literature on the planet is in the Bible. She wasn't a follower of Jesus, but just from a literature point of view, this is beautiful. But the problem is the familiarity of these words and the beauty of these words means that we can ignore what they're actually saying. And so what I want to do today is I want to take you through the 10 things that Paul says here about love, okay? And then I'm going to ask you, how's your love life? How's your love life? So the first thing that Paul says is this, that, that love is patient. I'm really terrible at this one. Anyone else? Like, I'm, I'm like number one, I'm, you know, oh my gosh. Love is patient. And the word that he uses for patience, it kind of means it takes a long time to boil. I don't know about you, but I don't take a long time to boil at all. And I was going to say my wife will... I've testified, but that sounds really wrong. So I'm not going to say that. But Andy Stanley, he said this, patience is the decision to move at someone else's pace rather than pressure him or her to match yours. Such a great definition. Such a great, hey, it's about choosing to, I'm going to go at your pace rather than pressure you to go at mine. That's patience. And of course, if we're going to love like God has loved, then what, how patient is he? Well, it says in Romans chapter two, this, you surely don't think much of God's wonderful goodness or of his patience and willingness to put up with you. How many of you know God's patient with you? God's so, and I think when we're struggling to be patient with other people, let's remember God is incredibly patient with us. Number two, love is kind. The original word um, here carries a different meaning. It's not just like a, a kindness as, as an act of grace. It also um, is used to describe a person or a deed that is helpful or useful. They used to talk about food being not just tasty, but kind because it's helpful, because it's like it's adapted to a purpose. And so you'd say something like that beetroot salad was really kind 
Or if you're on our staff team, that dirty burger was really kind, all right? Because that's what we would say. And it's almost like it's not just an act of grace, but it's useful and adaptable. Again, Andy Stanley says, kindness is loaning someone your strength. Love that. Loaning someone your strength instead of reminding them of their weakness. And I was reading this book, A Love Worth Giving, which is all about 1 Corinthians 13 by Max Licato, quite an old book now. And at the end of the one, one of the chapters, he tells this story. And it says this, in the book entitled Sweet Thursday, John Steinbeck introduces us to Madame Fauna. She runs a brothel and takes a liking to a prostitute by the name of Susie. Madame Fauna sets Susie up on a real date with a man, not a client. She buys Susie a nice dress and helps her get ready for the evening. As Susie is leaving, she, moved by Madame Fauna's kindness, asks her, you've done so much for me, can I do anything for you? Yes, the older woman replies, you can say, I'm Susie and no one else. Susie does. Then Madame Fauna requests, now say, I'm Susie and I'm a good thing. And so Susie tries, I'm Susie and I'm a good, and then Susie begins to cry. Wouldn't God want you to say the same words? In his book, you are a good thing. Isn't that interesting? In God's book, you are a good thing. Be kind to yourself. God thinks you're worth his kindness and he is a good judge of character. You know, I wanna suggest kindness is something that is really missing from our society right now. You know, I said, as I, any of you watched the video I filmed on my way over to, to, to church, I was just thinking about this, chatting to my wife, Alison, about this, that, you know, at the start of lockdown, it seemed like everyone was kind to each other and we were clapping the NHS on the steps and, you know, we were looking out for our neighbours and if you did go out in your car, we were slower and it was a little bit more relaxed. It is ridiculous now what is happening. Some of our crazy stockpiling, some of our craziness on the road. In the last few weeks, Alison and myself have stopped and helped two road traffic accidents help people who've been in crashes. Uh, we broke up a fight of two young boys that were kicking the daylights out of each other. A couple of days, a, few, a couple of weeks ago, we stopped for a little old lady that the car had broken down in the middle of a junction. Cars were going every which way around. Every single one of those incidents where we stopped to try and help people, I'm not bigging ourselves up. This is just ridiculous. Every single one where we stopped to try to be kind, everybody else on the road was banging their horns, putting their fingers up at us, because we were slowing them down by a matter of seconds to try and help other people. Our world needs kindness more than ever before. And guys, if we are followers of Jesus, we have been loved with a love that is patient and kind. And Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love is kind. Number three, love does not envy. In other words, it's not jealous. Some translations use the word jealous. It's not striving after what others have or what we think others have. And obviously social media is not helpful for this because we look at other people's social media and we think, I want their life. Like I want their house. I want their car. I want their husband. No, no, we don't say that. Like I want what they've got or what we perceive they've got and it creates envy within us. And Craig Grishel, a writer from America, he said this, envy is when you resent God's goodness in other lives and ignore His goodness in your own life. That's what envy is. And Paul says, hey, love does not envy. Number four, love does not boast, it is not proud. You know, I think sometimes that's about focus, isn't it? And again, how much of our focus is on us? You know, when we walk into our room, when we walk into a room where there's people, is, is our focus, here I am, or is our focus, there you are? 
And actually, love does not boast. It is not proud. Love calls us to love others in a way that opens up doors for others. We want to open doors for other people because Paul says it's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not all about you. It's actually about what would it be like if we lived like that, all of us? If I lived like that more, that would be great. If we lived like that, wouldn't it be amazing in our community, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our colleges, in our universities, in our neighbourhoods, if actually we lived like this and we loved like this, it would be amazing. Then Paul goes on to say, love is not rude. Translation of that word says, does not demand its own way. It's a word that means unbecoming, acting dishonourably, shameful or disgraceful behaviour. I think some of what we're seeing right now, you know, even with the stockpiling of petrol, and I get that, that there's, you know, I get all of that, okay, but 18 months ago we were stockpiling toilet rolls and pasta, and now we're stockpiling petrol. A lot of that is because we're kind of acting like it's just all about us, and we get into our own little circle and we forget about everyone else. And that's where the rudeness comes, and that's where the, 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 the kind of what Paul would say, the kind of disgraceful behaviour of ignoring other people because it's all about you. And then he goes on to say, love is not self-seeking. As if to back up the point, he pushes it home even deeper. Love is not self-seeking. In another letter that he writes to Philippians, he says it this way, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. And I'll talk about this in a moment. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Guys, I want to say something strong today. And I hope it's not out of anger because my next point is love is not easily angered. But you know, there's an obsession in our culture right now with our rights. Okay? And I get that. But I have to say, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you lovingly, know your Bible. Because the obsession with our rights, okay, is not a biblical concept in the way that it's become. Because for us, it's all about, everything is about my rights. So my right to choose my sexuality, my right to choose my gender, my right to do whatever I like, my right to, do, to, to be whatever I want. It's my right, my right, my right. When you see the Bible, the Bible has a value on rights, but it has an even bigger value on responsibilities. In the Bible, it's always we over me. It's always me choosing to lay down myself for the good of other people. And so I will do this because of those people. I will lay down this right in order to benefit other people. Freedom, freedom was always about the ability to choose the right thing for the benefit of others. Freedom has become about the ability to choose whatever the heck I want to do for myself. And I want to say as a church, This is so, so important. Paul says, yes, you've got the right, but you've got a responsibility. And love is not self-seeking. And I want to say it's so important in relationships, in marriage relationships. Well, I was wrong. I was right and you're wrong. And yes, you might be. But actually, love is not about being right. Love is about restoring. Love is about building a bridge. Love is about working things through. Love is about loving others in the way that God has loved you. And then Paul goes on to say, love is not easily angered. I read um, something this week about a guy that, that had anger issues in his life. And when he had grown up a little bit and his kids had grown up, they were talking about this. And, and he, would talk, he talked about his anger issues. And his one child said, well, I don't ever remember you being angry when, when, when we were young. And he said this, do you remember that tree near our drive? The one that used to be tall that got lower and lower and lower and the branches went lower and lower and lower. He said, before I came home, 
He said, I took it out on the tree. And he said this interesting phrase, I left my anger at the tree so I didn't have to bring it home. Wouldn't that be revolutionary if people, people left their anger somewhere else rather than bring it home? And maybe because if you're a Jesus follower, you know the significance in our faith about the tree and what Jesus has done. We call it the tree, but on the cross. Wouldn't it be great if we could leave the anger there so we didn't have to bring it home? Love is not easily angered. Then number eight, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You know, Jesus defined love by saying, as I have loved you, that's how you're to love others. Well, how have I loved you? Well, well, look in the Bible. Uh, Here we go in Psalm 130. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? In other words, God, you don't keep a record of wrongs. You know, and, and what we often do, I said this last week, we're trying to earn points with a God who's no longer keeping score. God doesn't keep a record of our wrongs and He calls us to love others in the same kind of way. Now that doesn't mean that we ignore wrong. It doesn't mean that we step over wrong. It doesn't mean that we deny wrong. It doesn't mean any of that. But it means that we deal with it appropriately and then we say, okay, and then we try and find a way to move on. And rather than pushing people out of our circle, we bring more people in. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And enough for me, you know, we're not sprinkled with, with forgiveness. We are, we, are, we are absolutely deluged in grace. I love the song and we sang it, I think here last Sunday, there's a line that says, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. How many of you are glad that you've got grace in your life? How many of you? Yeah, let me see your hand. Come on. Because to me, you know, whenever I'm struggling to love other people, and I am often, I have to keep reminding myself of how much God has loved me and the grace and the ocean that I'm sinking in. And He doesn't keep a record of wrongs and He's incredibly patient and He's incredibly kind and He laid down His own life for me. And if God has loved me that way, that's the kind of love I'm called to love others with. Number nine, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. From the message translation, this line says this, doesn't revel, love doesn't revel when others grovel. I love that. Doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. And many of you know, um, we've had a very, very difficult time as a church community the last couple of weeks with a very painful situation that has occurred, a funeral that happened here on Friday of, of, of a father and a young son. And, and you remember, you know, some of you know that and how hard it's been. And, and we think of the verse from the Bible that says that we, we are called to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. And love can do both. And sometimes on the same day, love can stand where others are, where they're struggling and hurting. And love can rejoice when others are rejoicing and celebrate with them. And that's what love does. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. And then number 10, and I've kind of put these last few together by just calling it this, love is always, love is just always. And Paul says it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres and it never fails. And in that language that Paul writes, that word for fail is used to describe like the demise of a flower. When, 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 a, when a flower withers and dies and falls into the earth, that's what it's used about. And Paul's saying, love's not like that. You know, you know, at a funeral, I will often say, well, I will always say, this is what we are doing today and this is what we are not doing today. What we are doing today is saying goodbye to the physical presence of someone. What we are not doing is saying goodbye to the love. 
We're not, we're not saying goodbye to the memories. We're not saying goodbye to the influence because that lives on. And love never fails. Isn't that good? Love never fails. And Paul kind of builds it up by saying it always protects, it always hopes, it always perseveres because it never fails. So here is my question for you in the room, those of you watching at Rowley, Cleebury, Bromsgrove, wherever you're watching, whether you're watching later, all of us, how's your love life? If that's the definition of love as He has loved you, that's how we're to love others. How is your love life? And then when I came to this last bit, I have to say this really hurt me when I realised and looked in the mirror at my own life. So I want to look back to this and I'm taking out the word love and I want you to put your own name in there. So let me use me as an example. So if 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 I'm called to love like I have been loved, then surely it follows that I could say, Leon is patient, Leon is kind. Leon does not envy, Leon does not boast, Leon is not proud. Leon is not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered. Leon keeps no record of wrongs. Leon does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. When I did that on my own, I had to put my pen down and look at it and thinking, God, that is so far from what I am. That is so far from what I am. And then I stopped and I thought, but you know what? The Christian faith is not about Leon. It's not about me trying to be something that I'm not. It's not about me working hard. It's not about me gritting my teeth and looking constipated and just trying really hard. It's not about that. It's about Jesus, because there's only one person who's ever lived the Christian life and that's Jesus Christ. So if I said, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus is not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. All of a sudden, wow. So here's the thing. And I'm hoping and praying that this is almost revelation for some of you today. What if we took those two concepts and brought them together? What would that look like? Here's what it would look like. Jesus in Leon is patient. Jesus in Leon is kind. Jesus in Leon does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. Jesus in Leon is not rude, not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus in Leon does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus in Leon never fails. That's different than me trying hard, than me gritting my teeth, than me working even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to love you if it kills me. This is about me surrendering my life to the one who loves me and who loves others through me. And saying, Jesus, as I die and you live, you in me are patient, you in me are kind, you in me always hope, always persevere, always protect, always trust. So how's your love life? How's your love life? And I want to get really practical today and I want to go back to where we started with this theory of mine about the me and the circle. Who's difficult in your life right now? And I don't mean, oh yeah, I've got difficult people. No, what's their name? Who is the person Jesus is asking you to love who's difficult right now?
Don't say it out loud. <laughs> I don't want you to think of the name. Who's different? Who's different? And, 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 and can I give you an example? Hey, anyone that looks different from you is different. And maybe after church, instead of going and finding someone who looks just like you, why don't you find someone who looks nothing like you and walk across the room and step outside of your circle? Because that's what Jesus has done for you. Who's damaged in your life? And I don't just mean, oh yeah, there's some really damaging. No, I mean a name. Who is the person who's damaged? And maybe who's draining you right now? And Jesus is calling you. And maybe even dangerous. Maybe there's some dangerous people and we have to be careful. I get that. But who is the name? of the person or the persons that Jesus is asking you to love because He has loved you that way. How do you do it? Let me give you three practical things. Number one, you've got to decide. You've got to make a choice. And this won't happen by nice music and, and by a nice song at the end. And all that. You've got to make a decision today. Name someone, say, God, I am going to choose to love that person. And then I'm going to ask that you would fill me with that love. Corrie Ten Boon, famous uh, lady that was a, a Jew uh, in the Second World War, put in a concentration camp. Her, her sister was killed. Horrendous story. She came out of that. She tells an incredible story where she's speaking on an event several years later. And she sees at the back of this event and she's speaking about God's love. And she sees this guy and she recognises the guy because he's a prison guard from the camp. And at the end, he steps and he's just he's become a Christian. He walks towards her and she sees him walking towards her and her heart is filled with hatred and bitterness. And she says, and as he walked towards me, he stretched out his hand and all I felt was hate and bitterness. But in that moment, I asked God to help me and I stretched out my hand. And she says, and it doesn't always happen as quickly as this, as I stretched out my hand, he gave me what I didn't have which was grace and forgiveness. Now that doesn't always happen quickly like that. But the point is this, she made a decision to love even though she didn't feel like it. You've got to decide. Secondly, you've got to dig deeper. Guys, we've got to dig deeper in this whole thing. I, I'm praying that coming out of COVID, we as a church are going to be known, not for our building, not for our music, not for our online ministry, not for any of that, but we're known for the way in which we love. Anyone want to say amen to that? We're known for the way in which we love. We've got to dig deeper for that. We've got to dig deeper. It means, guys, if God has blessed you, if God has blessed you, He hasn't blessed you to heighten your fence. He's blessed you to lengthen your table. He's blessed you physically with stuff. Your house is not just for you and your circle. It's to bless others. Your car, your, your money, your, your abilities. It's not just to heighten your fence so you can be separate. It's to lengthen your table so you can include more people. We've got to dig deeper. We've got to walk across the room. We've got to step out of our circle and into others. We've got to dig deeper. Maybe those people who've hurt you, Maybe you dig deeper by praying for them. I remember I've told you many times, years ago, uh, another leader hurt me really deeply and it took ages and ages. And it wasn't until I, I was listened to this teaching that said, hey, if someone's hurt you, pray for them. So I started to pray for them and I started to pray, Dear Lord, please bless them with warts and boils over the whole of their body and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And then, then God said, no, 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 you pray for them in a way that you would want God to bless you and your family, because that's the principle. So I began to pray for him and his family that God would bless them financially and, uh, and spiritually and relationally. And God did. And as God did that, our relationship was, 
was, was mended and healed and, and the bitterness that was in me was taken away. You've got to decide, then you've got to dig deeper. Then thirdly, you've got to drink deeply from the well of Jesus. Listen, we will never love like Him if we're not being loved by Him. And that means, guys, we have to drink deeply out of the well that is Jesus. Guys, as we finish, I want to say to those of you in the room and those of you watching, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus or maybe you're new into all of this and you don't understand what it is that God has done for you, I want to invite you, even right now, to sign up for our next Alpha course. It begins Monday the 27th, which if you're watching this live, is tomorrow night. It's online, so already people signed up for it. It's a brilliant way that you can get to understand what God has done for you in Jesus. So I'd love you to sign up for that. There's a link here on the chat or you can take your phone out, text LCC Alpha, your name to 60777 and we would love to register for that. But I wanna invite you right now, guys, to stand with me. Can we do that? And I wanna pray for you. And you know, if you're watching or you're in the room and you want someone to pray personally for you in the room, that can happen today. At the end of our time together, which, is, which will be in around 15 minutes or so, as you head out through those doors, if you turn left, there's a prayer space we've got some people there that would love to pray for you. You know, I, I, I'm convinced that, that this is kind of like this whole circle thing, you know, cycle thing, you know, that as we're loved, so we can love. But if I'm not being loved, I can't love. And if I do love, you know, then actually it's going to run dry. It's only as I'm loved can I keep loving. And it's a cycle, it's a circle. You know, it's a whole process and we'd love to pray for you. Or maybe right now you are struggling over something in your life. Maybe someone left you. Maybe someone hurt you. Maybe someone wounded you. And right now you know that you're so hurt and so wounded. You have nothing left to love and nothing left to give others. I want to pray for you as well. So in the room and those online, I want to invite you to pray with me. And I want to pray for you that the love of God would flood our hearts and lives again today. And then we're going to sing an incredible song. It's one of my favourite hymns, actually. It's an old song. And by old, I don't mean 1994, okay? I mean like hundreds of years old. And it just talks about the depth and the power of the love of God. And when we drink deeply from that, then we've got something and someone to give to our hurting and broken world. So if you're in the room or maybe online, why don't you just put your hands out if you come to do that and just ask God to fill you again with His love today. I know I need this so much. When I, when I read that through, Leon is patient. Leon, I just can't even read it without thinking, I'm really not. But when I think Jesus and Leon is patient, Jesus and Leon is kind. Jesus and Leon is not self-seeking. He's not rude. He always protects, always trusts. Then I say, God, would you fill me? So God, I wanna pray right now that in these moments of surrender that we would receive again your love. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for keeping no record of wrong. Thank you, Jesus, for almost drowning us in an ocean of grace. And Lord, as we receive from you this incredible love, vast as the ocean, May we be people of reset who love others in a way that we have been loved. And it may even start this morning at the end of our service by walking across the room and talking to someone, maybe who we found difficult or who is different from us. May it start here, we pray, and may it shake and shape and bless our communities in the Name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.